Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All righty, thank you to the voice of Dan McCarty, as always, for introducing us here to the Cattleman's Call podcast. As Dan mentioned, I'm Lane Nordland, happy to be with you here today and happy to be recording this show live from the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show here in, I want to say sunny Houston, Texas, but it's actually rainy Houston, Texas. And our guest today is president-elect and soon-to-be president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Mr. Don Schiefelbein. Don, thanks for joining us here today. Oh, I'm excited to be here with you. And again, as I mentioned, for our folks tuning in after the 2022 convention, Don will have that title of president. And uh, as we gather here in person, Don, what's it like to to travel down from the north and uh, join everyone here in Houston? Well, when you leave minus degree weather, it's an enjoyable trip down. So we're excited, even though we're in the midst of calving at home. So the brothers weren't exactly happy for me to leave because I have that night shift from 11 o'clock at night to 3 in the morning. And so now they're filling in for me while I'm gone. And, of course, the home operation is up in Minnesota. What uh, what, what really uh, triggered your interest in serving in agriculture organizations and stepping up and being a voice for your fellow producers? Well, actually, it comes from my dad. And my dad said, you know, you've got to be vested in this in- industry because where this industry go, actually, that's where our family is going to follow, right? So you got to make sure the future of this industry is sound. And for those of us who can put a little time and effort towards making sure we're doing our due diligence, that uh, I'm just wanting to do my part. So obviously to, to get a start and have that inspiration from your dad, it also goes back to that appreciation of what we do out in the countryside. And, 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 and Don, you've been a guest on the podcast multiple times, but most of the time we're talking about what's going on with NCBA and, and other issues. Actually, we had a great conversation our last show just talking about Christmas and yeah, Christmas right. on, on the ranch. But uh, let's just talk about the the operation uh, out there in Minnesota and uh, just the history of it as well. And uh, and truly that unique perspective of getting to work with your close relatives every single day. That's something you don't see a lot in agriculture today. At least not as many as I'm working with. You know, I got a family, but it's kind of a family on steroids, right? So there's a lot of us. I farm with uh, eight of my brothers, their wives. My dad, my mom, five nephews and their wives, and our children and our grandchildren. So when you add up the whole total, there's 84 of us who are all working together here in Minnesota. So sometimes the dynamics shift from day to day, but uh, overall it's an enjoyable, enjoyable experience. So when did your family start uh, uh, farming and ranching in Minnesota? So my dad started it. So he actually was born and raised in Minneapolis, St. Paul with absolutely zero and I mean zero background of livestock or farming or cattle. So he made the move on over to Minnesota and said, you know what? He experienced his dad's lake home and said, you know, this is a nice way to live out here in this countryside and said, why would I ever want to go back? And one thing led to another and he started farming. So what were some of the challenges that he faced initially coming from no background in agriculture what were some of the challenges that he faced that made him a better producer because he was first generation and not afraid of going against the flow 
Yeah, and of course he had no experiences, good or bad, right? Yeah. So he didn't have any bad habits to cure. That was probably <laughs> a huge advantage. And so when he looked at everything, he looked at it very analytical. So my dad was actually a mathematics major out of St. Thomas College. So from his perspective, this thing had to make dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. And from his perspective, the cattle industry was all about the beef industry because from his city perspective, the reason we're raising cattle is for the consumption of beef. So his perspective from the very get-go was we got to produce the very best beef product we possibly can. And actually, that's why we jumped into the Angus genetics at the time in 1960-some. Mm -hmm. So obviously coming into that, I like how you put that not having any bad habits because and uh, it's tradition. And we learn from our, 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 our moms and our dads and our uncles and aunts on these operations. And coming into that with a, a fresh slate can be also an opportunity to help others learn more about these new technologies. What, what was your dad like in working with neighbors that are like, who's this new guy coming into the industry? Oh, you got it right. Remember, back it up to 1955, and yeah. you can imagine, here's this city guy coming into Minnesota, rural town, and saying he wants to be a farmer. There were many, in fact, uh, as the story goes, his first Christmas there, they all got together, all the neighbors, and there are 22 of them, and right at the Christmas party, everybody said, well, Frank's been here a month. Let's see how long he lasts. We're gonna put a little bet together so everybody guessed a date on how long my dad would uh, last. And there are 22 people who put in a date with the longest date being one year. The rest of the story, Lane, is today, 21 of those 22 farms my dad owns. Mm -hmm. So it's just amazing how when you innovate and take on uh, new ways of doing business that you can really succeed. So did he get the pot of, of money there? <laughs> we don't know what happened to that pot of money. <laughs> they were just shocked that this the guy from <laughs> Minneapolis St. Paul had a chance of surviving in central Minnesota. Well, as you mentioned, he was uh, kind of the, the groundwork, too, to uh, help you step up into leadership and uh, to, to help be a voice and advocate on behalf of uh, your fellow producers. Um, what has been your favorite part of serving in NCBA leadership? Well, I just think, you know, understanding that you're doing it for the long-term future of next generations. To me, that's what it's all about. The reason we are engaged is to make sure our children and our grandchildren have an opportunity to succeed. And if we don't put the time and the effort in ourselves at this point, we are probably jeopardizing their potential to be successful. So obviously you get to travel the nation and talk with producers that, again, are just trying to stay in business and, and do what is best for their operation and to educate themselves. So and I'm sure you've had some very good conversations, some unique conversations, but what's been the most eye-opening part of being an NCBA officer for yourself? Well, understanding how big this beef industry is. You know, everybody comes from their own perspective, but their own perspective may be just one small location. You all of a sudden start crossing the whole entire United States and seeing operations from South Florida to Montana to California. You realize really quickly that everybody's operation is quite different and everybody's perspective of what this industry should look like is different as well. So to me, it's a little bit like our family operation. I use that parallel a lot. You know, believe it or not, the 84 family members, Lane, we don't always agree on everything. And the same goes true in our beef industry. You have lots of people with different examples and situations who say, really, the future ought to look like this. The 
what you have to do when you get into those situations is just understand, listen closely, and do for the better good of the entire group. So, and I'm glad that you paralleled that with your family. When, when someone thinks about 84 individuals, they're like, oh, man, that, that, that's almost like a, a corporate corporation. Well, well it is. And, uh, and I just think of so many of our listeners out there that have had to go in battle just for the right to, to keep a, a farmer ranch together because some other siblings, they necessarily do not want to, you know, continue on or they want bought out or they want the higher price or they can't agree on what type of cattle they should be running or, or new innovations. What, uh, could you just break, break it down for us? How, how the family operations work with 84 people? Uh, how do you split the responsibilities? What a board meeting looks like <laughs> and, uh, how that also ties into just how you look at different agricultural producers operations and views differently as well because you you deal with some different views on a daily basis oh no question and and that's where dad's wisdom came into play where dad said you know what to keep this family going everybody needs a kingdom that they can manage themselves so in his wisdom instead of being a typical father and i say typical i don't mean that in a derogatory phase but there's a lot of i want to control everything mentality His deal was, how do I break this up as quickly as I can so that people have a say in one part of the area? So we'll break uh, this whole operation up into seed stock, uh, who's going to manage the cows, who is going to manage our crops, who's going to manage our feed yard, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, everybody is uh, a king of some domain. Mm -hmm. But the way we work it is the group always trumps each kingdom. So you may be on your own, and for my example, I'm in charge of uh, the breeding program as well as uh, the finance. But if the group decides, boy, that direction doesn't look right, they can trump my decision and say, you said to go left, we're going to go straight or we're going to go right. So it kind of keeps a balance of power, if you will. But the way it also works is because nobody really wants to be trumped, they're pretty good about staying out of other people's business in the hopes that they stay out of their business, Mm -hmm. right? So have you had any family members that uh, wanted to, to, to move on and get out of the operation? We got one brother who's not back. So that was from the very beginning. We had to kind of establish a situation where he understood where he sat. We treated him fairly. Dad uh, kind of helped orchestrate that. That was way back in 2005. And everybody asks me from time to time, they'll say, is becoming uh, the president of NCBA the most important thing that you've ever done? And I said, no. In 2005, when I went with the lawyers, and we literally had stacks of paper, literally eight inches to a foot tall. We brought, walked in all those family members. Everybody signed. Everybody was happy. We all went to pizza afterwards together. And to me, that's what kind of consensus building and a successful operation looks like when you go to the lawyers. And so obviously, I, I, I use the term board meeting, but you have to have uh, meetings with everybody and truly it look at it like it's uh, a New York City firm. And, uh, and that, maybe that's not the way to describe it, Don, but uh, uh, just uh, how that communication actually rolls out is just actually having meetings and, like you said, not having the kingdom's rule, but the family come together and make those decisions. Yeah, and surprisingly to some, and this may be a downfall of our operation, I don't know, but we probably over-communicate. Mm-hmm. We meet every single morning. Wow. 
So the I was thinking maybe once a month. No, every single morning we do, we kind of d- divide up. So depending on the day, we have an operations guy who says, okay, we need to get this done, that done, et cetera. And we just kind of break away and get everything done the best of our ability. But uh, obviously, from what your dad started with, truly just coming out, wet behind the gills, and to what it's come down to today, what is your advice to young producers out there, whether they're from a multi-generational ranch that is struggling to get by, or maybe it's a young person, maybe it's a veteran, um, someone that wants to be working on, you know, hands-on with livestock, you know, being a steward of the land, what is the advice that you have for them? First of all, it's to be open. You know, one of the quotes I use from my dad that I'm very proud of, and I think it resonates really well in the way we should go directionally, and that is he said the greatest advantage he sees in our operation is that his children are not farming and ranching the way he did. And he kind of has that push of, boy, take on the new uh, new advantages, take on the technologies, et cetera, and move forward in a direction that may not have looked like the way I did, but kind of positions us better for the future. And to me, that's an important, important element because too often you've heard the statement, well, when I'm dead, you can do it however you want, right? Yeah. That premise has never been at our operation, and Dad's always led, no, you found a better mousetrap? Let's build it or let's try to create it and let's go after it. So did you know that you wanted to come back to the family operation after college? It, was it something you always wanted to do or, or was it something, maybe did you go one way and then get pulled back to it? I had a love for it from the very moment. Now, I grew up in the 80s and for those yeah. of you who are listening, remember the 80s, it was a difficult, difficult time. And so one of the things dad always did is dad said, before you can come back as a son, you got to leave the operation for four years. You don't necessarily have to go to college, but you have to leave the operation from four years. And as I've evaluated that lane over time, that is just a brilliant, brilliant move. Mm-hmm. Because the surprising thing is when you go from 18 to 22, yeah. for some reason, dad and mom get smarter. And they get a lot smarter as you age from 18 to 22. And you begin to see that, boy, when I'm having to work for others... Dad and mom aren't so bad. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And it's yep. all in your perspective. And being able to control your own destiny and have some say just changes your whole outlook. Now, what was it like for your wife? We should have your wife on this because what was it like for her to come into this oh, huge it, family operation? It's intimidating. I mean, when you're uh, one of the many wives, there's eight wives with us, you know, she was just on pins and needles. And the rest of the story is so I went to Texas A&M. So I married a South Texas girl. <laughs> My first trip back up <clears throat> with her to Minnesota was over uh, uh, th- uh, spring break. <clears throat> and we had three-foot drifts, and she was like, <laughs> what have I gotten into? And she was just wondering if I was the right choice at that time. But it's intimidating. You go into, remember, they're all brothers, right, all boys, and in a family outfit that's not used to dealing with girls. So my dad's sensitivity levels are not real good so he had to kind of adjust his little tuners to say you know what we now have women in this family and we need to maybe say things just a bit different than i have before so let's talk about your family and uh what what, what uh what's the outlook for for you for your family continuing on well again I've followed suit with my dad and said, you know, you need to go. And I've been blessed that I followed dad's suit as well, that I've sent my family. I've got three daughters and sent them to all different schools across the plains, if you will, 
One went to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. She's graduated right now and is working at Cactus Feeders in their cactus care department. I have uh, my second oldest daughter, Abby. She's at K-State. Mm-hmm. She has just accepted a, a graduate assistantship at Colorado State. And my youngest is at Oklahoma yep. State. And she's just kind of going go pokes right now. Yeah. So she's figuring out what to do that way. But what they're doing, and this has kind of been the way we've always done it as a family, everybody contributes the best they can where they're at. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Shelby, Shelby has been absolutely our key player when you talk about making sure we're having a presence on uh, Facebook. So she's our Facebook rep. So just even this morning, she's got a Facebook ad out actually going to all the members of NCBA here. Yeah. So she's done a geofence, at least that's the term she's calling it yeah. for me. She's geofenced to NCBA and she's kind of doing some advertising directly them for our upcoming bull sale. Yeah. You know, Bailey is a communications person at yep, Oklahoma yep, State, yep. and she's excited. She just did a whole redo on her entire uh, Facebook. Yeah. So, well, again, it'll be uh, uh, it'll be interesting what what the what the future of your family operation, uh, what what it looks like in the next ten, twenty, and fifty years, and it should be a case study. No, <laughs> it be a-, a lot of guys do wonder whether or not. <laughs> so, my dad and mom are both eighty nine years old, yep. and and the question is. Well, when dad and mom are gone, will you still be able to continue and function adequately? But at 89, dad dad and mom rarely show up for the meetings anymore. Dad's still an important part, but just not as day-to-day as he once was. So really for the last five years, we've been kind of flying a little bit solo, if you will trying to figure things out on our own now also just uh you know as you as you said your dad was always very open-minded to to, to new uh, techniques to, to to things that could improve yourselves and your operation when uh when did it click for you on how important it was to be involved with different breed associations and with advocacy through your your county state and national cattle groups when, when did that uh, really become uh, an opportunity for you to say you know what I know it's hard to step away from the farm for a day or two to go to these meetings, but I think it's going to better our operation and also make a difference in, in the U.S. industry. You know, everybody has people who influenced them to get into a leadership position. The person who influenced me was a guy named Jerry Wolf. So Jerry was in the Minnesota State Cattlemen's at the time, and Jerry said, you know, it's time for me to exit. Who can I find to replace me? And he kind of recruited me hard, and then it you know, truth be known, I really didn't want to do it, but Jerry twisted my arm really hard and said, this is important, ran it by the brothers, and I guess, you know, dad and the group said, gosh, it's an important area we, we want to make sure we're involved in, go forward, and we'll just see where it goes, and who would have thought, that was, I think, 15 years ago, that it would all evolve to this point here today. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to stay on that uh, leadership topic along with innovation tied into it, but we're going to take a quick break and thank our friends at Dell Technologies for sponsoring today's podcast. We'll be back right after this. Dell Technologies offers NCBA members discounts on all Dell desktops, notebooks, servers, electronics, and accessories. They also offer a laptop that is ranch-ready and configured with America's cattle producers in mind. This laptop is everything a producer needs for their operation. With exclusive NCBA member savings coupons, access to a dedicated small business tech advisor, and more, Dell Technologies is there for cattlemen and women. Visit ncba.org slash membership for more on how you can take advantage of your Dell Technologies membership benefit today. All right, again, a big thank you to our sponsor of today's podcast, Dell Technologies, helping out cattlemen and women 
innovating and keeping technology at the forefront on their operations. And as we talk about innovation and technology, um, Don Schiefelbein, president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, after the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention, if, if you're tuning in after after this uh, event. Don, when, when you look at innovation and uh, just uh, making sure that... Uh, you know, your operation stays on the straight and narrow and you go through the challenges. How does that, uh, how does that bring an innovative look at, to your role as president of NCBA? Well, I think a lot, you know, we, we've always gone to this process that, you know, there's a lot of people who have pushed and pushed what I call this low cost producer kind of mentality. But the truth of the matter is it takes some investment in technologies to get the best value out of lots of things that you're going and so we've always been one that uh, boy if the investment is there and it pays out well we're willing to put the chips towards it to try and get a better outcome and I think that you know if you look at the sponsors even today a lot of them require or ask that boy invest in our program and it will make you more money over the long haul and that's kind of what we've decided to do you know we do have a rule of thumb though that there has to be enough evidence in that technology for us to do it so kind of our rule of thumb is in God we trust, everybody else prove it. And so we, once the data is proven, we will go usually both feed in and get aggressive, whether it's DNA technology or any of those technologies that help us move forward. And tying that to your NCBA leadership, uh, how, what, what qualities are have you brought to the board in, the, in your previous positions and now into president that just tie into your experience in the business? You know, I, I don't know. When you look at who I am, I guess my family background, my ability to be a consensus person has probably been a huge input as far as where I was at the American Angus Association and where I'm at with NCBA as well. You know, I've always been one who listens closely and then tries to say, boy, based on what they said and based on what you just told me, maybe the path forward ought to look like this. So that's kind of been... Uh, kind of my Minnesota nice approach, if you will, to things. But I believe that's what's keeping our family going steady, too. When you listen to everybody, then chart a course that's a balanced approach based on two people or a group of people saying this is the best direction forward. But uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to travel and hear you speak at uh, different state associations. And uh, I, I guess there could be somebody listening to, to this podcast that says, God, what, what does this Minnesota guy know anything about my challenges in the Southeast or in the Pacific Northwest or, or in, uh, in, the, in the Southwest? What, what does this Minnesota guy, you know, bring to the table? But you're not afraid to, to sit down and talk with people or, or address a crowd of a thousand uh, on issues that they're concerned about. Uh, how important is it for you to be transparent, but also just not back down from what, what are the facts? Well, you know, and I think that's kind of one of my trademark deals, and maybe it's just out of my naiveness, but uh, I'm pretty straight shooter. If somebody asks me a question, I usually don't dodge the bullet. I go right after it, and uh, whether or not they want to hear what I'm saying, I probably am gonna, not going to change the what I say, and I'm going to come at it pretty direct. But I think over the long haul, a friend of mine named Mark McCulley and I have discussed this a long time. I think when you do, when you have that approach of directness and transparency, I think you kind of develop what we call a license to lead. And that is people begin to say, boy, he's earned the opportunity to be a leader, not was just given it through election or because we bestowed it upon him. And to me, that's what's really important is you need leadership that basically has been in the trenches, 
listen to the folks, but then has enough competence that people look and say, you know what? That guy makes a lot, great deal of sense, and I'm willing to support him and get behind what he might suggest. Now, uh, it's uh, it just has been such a, a buller, it seems, from that time we were in, uh, where were we in 2020? I guess San Antonio. Yep. Uh, right before the pandemic uh, really uh, uh, shut down the nation just a few months later, it, it just seems such a blur of uh, everything that's gone on in the cattle industry. So when we look at the, the challenges from just what we saw in the shutdown in the packing houses with, uh, with all that went on with uh, the lack of labor because of the coronavirus to, to trade issues, to, 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 to you name it. So much in the, in the beef business was talked about and, and consumers heard about it. So as you come into your role as president, you've seen a lot of, of big topics just on your time on the executive board as well. So as you come into this, what are some of your top priorities that, uh, that you hope to address in this year ahead? Well, when you go through a huge economic disruption that we did, and again, to keep that in perspective, and I think those that are living in this moment, if you will, as we speak, don't realize when history looks at what we just went through, it will no doubt be the biggest, largest, most dramatic economic disruption this beef industry ever felt. And so when you're living through that moment at times, I mean, it's perilous, right? I mean, it's scary. And for those of my friends and us included, when you had fed cattle for sale and all of a sudden there were no fed cattle buyers to take those cattle, that economic reality is real. It's to the point and it affects you dramatically. So I think as you come through there, there's been just so many emotions laying where people had their backs against the wall. And from my perspective, I do not diminish that moment at all. I mean, it's real. It's exact. And when people say, but gosh, you need to protect my interests, I get it. What we have to do is balance that with a common sense approach that says, realize where we are at the moment. This too shall pass, right? I mean, it's easy to overreact when you're in the midst of a storm. What you want to do is kind of have the calm directional view and say we're going in this direction and we're going to do it kind of methodically and i think that's what our association did as well as any is we've debated a lot of these issues but we kind of kept that steady direction that we're here's where we're going to go and from my perspective if you were to say given the economic disruption that we felt three years ago where our industry is today it is nothing short of phenomenal in terms of how our breeders and producers and members have managed to get through that storm. Mm -hmm. So when we look at some of the, the major issues, obviously policy will be created at this year's convention, but what, what are some of those uh, key issues that, that you think will be at the forefront over the next year? Well, a couple of them there that are really raising their ugly face is WOTUS again, you know, Waters of the United States. That is one that has been a thorn in our side forever. And I think the reality is it's a huge impactful decision for almost everybody. You know, if you look at the way they may write the rule, in one sense, it may impact about 5% of our ranch. If you take the extreme view they have right now, the government would have access to 100% of our ground. So it's a huge, huge important issue. And I think, you know, given where we have our people involved at Washington, D.C., and now maybe have the Supreme Court coming maybe to yeah. our side, it looks like the opportunity to maybe to come to a common sense solution may actually come to fruition. So that's going to be a huge, huge issue. You take this whole fake meat and uh, lab uh, created meat, 
please don't take your eye off the ball on that one. Mm -hmm. That one, I know you're looking at uh, some of the sales, and they've been disappointing. I mean, everybody's tried it, and everybody's tasted it, and then everybody's been disappointed. (laughs) But they continue to refine the product. And don't keep your eye off the ball. Make sure we keep focused on there and make sure that we defend our product, specifically that the label beef remains beef. And one thing that I, I know that, that, that I hear a lot, you see it on social media, is just uh, with inflation and everything else, we're, we're seeing prices for consumers in the grocery store. Beef is very expensive. And there's a lot of frustration in the countryside with, uh, with, with the markets, with uh, a packing capacity, hook space, and, and, and anything dealing with the packers. It's, it, there's a lot of frustration out there. What, uh, what are some of those key things that uh, you and your leadership team and the policy team are, are looking at when it comes to uh, making sure producers have good prices and consumers aren't uh, turning away from beef because it's too expensive in the grocery store. You know, you know that's exactly point right on it. But the good news from that is given the price where consumers are currently paying for beef, if we can get our fair share, the outlook is absolutely as bright as it can be. So you're, you're spot on. The key is how do you get your fair share? Some of that comes with leverage, but as you know, we've been putting a full all out assault on saying, what can we do to help get more hook space so demand is greater for cattle, not beef, but for cattle, so that the prices for cattle go up. And you can see we've got bills going every which way saying, how do we get more dollars in infrastructure for packing facilities, for medium to small sized processors so that we can balance out the impact of these large packers on our industry because as you know the concern I hear and I hear it all over and I'm going to hit it head on is boy we've only got four packers dealing 80 percent of our fed cattle two of them are foreign owned a third one is the largest investor of fake meat I mean there's a reason our membership is just a little uneasy right they ought to be and that's where i think it's very important we just keep the eye on the ball and make sure we're doing everything in our possible to make sure we bring in more competition into that area so what do you think it is about american cattlemen and women that allows us you know to raise such a high quality desirable product that people here in the u.s but also worldwide want to consume well you know again it's in cooperation i'm having a meeting tonight with the corn growers Mm -hmm. nothing makes our beef more unique than grain flavored beef right and to me that's what's really the differentiating point so we're in cooperation where we're blessed to be in a country where we can raise lots and lots of corn and we can do it very very efficiently and what we can do just from our carbon footprint and efficiency standpoint at our operation our goal is to get every fed steer out at 13 months of age weighing approximately 1400 pounds think of that a 13-month-old steer being processed, weighing 1,400 pounds. Other countries aren't even halfway there to where we're at. So from an efficiency standpoint, and we're doing it with corn that allows us to have the most flavorful, best-tasting product in the world, I think if people just get out of the way in terms of trade barriers, the demand for U.S. beef is just going to go through the roof and it's going to continue to soar. Now, sustainability is the new keyword. Uh, <laughs> for policymakers, for consumers, uh, throw climate, that, that word in there as well. And uh, I, I see producers uh, share their frustrations, you know, why, why are we looking at sustainability? They're just trying to push this and that, but it's truly, we're already sustainable. How important is it for, and I know NCBA has uh, sustainability guidelines and uh, work that they're doing to tell 
farmers and ranchers story uh, and, and to show the sustainability and the in the role that they have in carbon capture as coming into uh, the the presidency of NCBA how is sustainability going to to look in the year ahead and, and what do cattlemen and women need to be thinking about even if they're a little unsure about that word sustainability I think they have nothing to be worried about at all. In fact, I think what we need to do as NCBA and cattle producers is flip the script. You know, people are running away from sustainability, and they shouldn't be. We should be embracing it because it's a thing that we do extremely well. And if you compare U.S. production to the rest of the world, there is no question we are the most sustainable product on in the on the planet so instead of kind of being fearful of it we should be embracing it because it's an asset in our on our side it's a win for us and i think the more we begin to embrace it and tell folks boy beef is incredibly sustainable talk about what i just said 13 months of age getting stuff processed when you do things that efficiently you are really becoming sustainable and your carbon footprint is really being minimized so i think it's a positive story we should be shouting from the mountaintops so obviously at this convention states are bringing up policy and uh, the policy sessions will dictate and the members will vote on what that policy book will look like for the team out in washington dc and i think it's important to maybe discuss how policy is created how state organizations get that policy from the county cattlemen's associations and bring it up here for debate and uh that it's not the Packers in the back room writing that policy for people. You know, I, I was actually just in Tennessee uh, last week, and I was shocked that it came up. It, the question was, well, we understand you are in the Packers' uh, back pocket, that you basically do everything the Packers want. And I tell you, Lane, it's just that just, just stuns me because here I've been in five years now on the officer team. Never, never, ever have we followed a policy created or proposed by a Packer, ever. It is all grassroots based. It's all based on local affiliates, whether it's the Montana stock growers or the Oklahoma cattlemen or TCFA. It's those grassroots people who are bringing the policy forward that we come and debate. The Packers never, ever have a say in what we're going to do ultimately. So the people who are doing that have a different agenda in my mind. Their agenda is not to make this industry better. It's how can we destroy an organization that we don't want to be successful. So I think that's a far different uh, response than some. So why is it so important for folks to be a part of the NCBA discussion and engage on, on policy creation? Because that's how your voice gets heard. You know, that's the bottom line. And, you know, people, and I'm a little different maybe than this, I encourage state affiliates to voice their concerns. If they believe something ought to be this way or that way, they should put it to policy and they should move it forward because that's how their voices are heard. Then they come to this platform here at the national level and we go in there and we debate and we discuss, etc. You're a, you know, you're a study of history. You know that this country, our founding fathers, they didn't always agree on every policy. You know, Jefferson and Hamilton weren't exactly best friends, <laughs> yep. right? Yet Yep. It's when they got together, debated, discussed, that came out with a, a country that is better than the rest, right? And so to me, that's what ends up being the positive thing. You come in here, you debate it, you discuss it. But once we develop a path forward, we go that path forward united. 
So again, I know we, you got a busy day. I don't want to hold you up too much here at uh, at the Cattlemen's Connection booth, uh, sponsored by Micro Technologies. But uh, what what's your last tidbit or just anything you'd like to share with our audience here today, as uh, as uh, you and your family, and and I say your family because they're a part of this uh, journey as well in the presidency. What uh, what's your message to American cattlemen and women about uh, the the future and the state of the cattle industry and, and your commitment to them? Well. The future is extremely bright, but, I, you know, people have asked me this, and I think it's an important question, is what keeps you up at night? If, as you're coming into this approach of uh, taking on the presidency of NCBA, what really keeps you up at night? And people are saying, is it the, is it the Humane Society of the U.S., or what, what industry really scares you? And I'll take it back to what my dad says with regard to our family. I think it parallels exactly into our industry, and that is... The way we lose in the beef industry is we fight from within. And if you look at what opposing forces who want us out of business have figured out, how can we get ourselves to fight within ourselves? And think parallel that to the family. If you look at our family, my dad said there is no external force that's going to take this family out. It's the internal dynamics that you got to manage to be successful. I think the same rings exactly true for our industry. We need to come together, understand that if we stay united, the future is incredibly positive. Well, Don, thanks for those words, and uh, good luck in the year ahead. I, I think 2022, I keep wanting to say 2021 because it doesn't seem like uh, that year should be over yet, but uh, uh, I, I think we are going to see some great opportunities. Uh, I hope up in my country we, we get a little moisture and, and don't get droughted out again or, or grasshoppers. You know, the book of Exodus is how I describe our grasshopper plague last year, but uh, there's opportunities in the cattle business and uh, innovation and uh, and. Uh, Looking at new ideas is always important, and I, I hope everyone enjoyed our conversation, and maybe we'll look at their operation a little bit differently. Yeah, and thank you, Lane, for everything you do for our industry. It's, it's voices your, like yours that get the word out that's so important to uh, making sure we're all on the same team. Well, again, thank you to Don Schiefelbein, president-elect during convention, and then president of uh, the NCBA after convention wraps up here in Houston, Texas. So if you're tuning in after the convention, uh, we look forward to uh, having you join us and subscribing to the podcast here, The Cattleman's Call, on those multiple platforms where you listen to your podcast. Again, a big thank you to Dell Technologies for sponsoring today's show. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.